Hi, and welcome to the next edition of the Red-Headed Preacher Podcast, preached on Sunday, December 18th, 2022. Yes, the fourth Sunday of Advent at St. Peter's and around the planet, actually, um, for those who celebrate Advent. This message is uh, based, well, really only on the gospel lesson this time, though the readings do include something uh, from the Old Testament and from the epistles of Paul. The story that I focus on is Joseph's dream, as you might guess by the title, what Joseph brought to his dream. My hope really is really to apply some of what he brought to his dream as evidenced by what happened um, for us, not necessarily in our dreams, but how we approach challenges, different ideas, how open are we to them, how willing are we to incorporate something new if we're open to it. So I hope you enjoy this uh, different kind of message. I think it's a little bit different. A lot of different kinds of stories that lead up to exploring the gospel passage. And um, our lector today is my wife, Beth Lanford. And uh, she's going to have the next word. The first reading is from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. Here are some words often read at this time of year given to uh, King Ahaz of Judah during a time of war. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to is it too little for you to weary mortals that ye weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child, and shall bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, The land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and on you and your people and on your ancestral house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. This ends the reading from Isaiah. Our second reading is the first seven verses of Paul's letter to the church at Rome. In this greeting, we hear invocations of the birth and lineage of Jesus and some of the gifts we have received through Christ. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, the gospel concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh 
and was declared to be Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for the sake of his name, including ourselves who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all God's beloved in Rome, who are called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This ends a reading from Romans. For those who are able, please stand up for the reading of the Gospel lesson. On this fourth Sunday of Advent, the lectionary gives us the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Mary is pregnant with Jesus, and her fiancé Joseph now knows he didn't impregnate her. So what should he do? Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son and named him Jesus. Here is the reading of Matthew and the scriptures, scripture readings for this morning's service. May God grant us a wise and generous understanding of this, the word of the God of life, for the life of the people of God. The story of Joseph's dream is one we always hear on Christmas Eve, but you know it really is an Advent tale, a tale of preparation, of getting ready, and in this case, changed plans. You know, it's it's a story for Advent, it's a story for Christmas, and in a way I think it's a time for any time of year, including Easter. It's an event which had a huge impact on the lives of Mary and Joseph and therefore on Jesus. But also this, this missed part of the story, what Joseph brought to his dream, is good for you and me, and perhaps the majority of people out there. We know what Joseph brought to his attempt at sleep that night, so very, very long ago. Agitation, anger or grief or both, perhaps a sense of betrayal, but also a desire to do what is right by Mary. 
divorcing her or ending the engagement privately. He did not have to do that. She was under enough stress when she began to show, casting a judgmental light surely on her, but, and perhaps on him, but if so, to a lesser extent in those patriarchal days. So he brought a compassionate, although hurt, heart to his bed, among other feelings we can presume, but don't know. Matthew tells us that Joseph had made up his mind. That's something else he brought to his dream. Being a righteous man and unwilling to put her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly, or divorce her quietly. In those days, getting engaged was almost like getting married. To end a marriage or an engagement, a couple had to go through a divorce. So Joseph was resolved, or at least what he brought to his dream, was his decision to end the engagement quietly, but really. Once in a great while, as I lie in bed, perhaps awakened during the night or not quite asleep yet, I'll get an idea for a take on the sermon I'm writing, or think of something else I can include to give it more substance or illustration. I get out of bed, go down the short hall to the den, and jot it down so it's there waiting for me when I get up in the morning. Maybe that kind of thing has happened to you too, although probably not for a sermon. But this is not a gen generally a dream event. Never for me, I never woke up from a dream to do that. Even as it is about the presentation of a new idea. Joseph did dream and was presented with much, much more than a new idea. How do you or I respond to the proposition of something different than what we'd resolved to do? When I managed the church softball team, I really invested time and energy into it, including devising a lineup once in a while, I'd call someone on the team to bounce ideas off of, like Ron, Shirky, or Phil Lindroth, as well as Beth. When I had set the lineup for the next game, with possible hours behind that, I had thought it through a number of times. So I've got this, coming to the game, get people are gathering in the dugout, people want to see the lineup sheet. I've got this. Please do not question what I've invested all this time and energy in. I did not respond well when it was a few minutes before a game and someone suggested changing the lineup, defensively or offensively. No, I had thought this through. Perhaps some of you are like that too. I do remember one important conversation in the first season when I was very green at managing. Mark Carroll asked me why I had Bob Kuhn batting in the ninth or 10th spot. Because he's the pitcher, I replied, using baseball logic. He said to me, you want your best hitters hitting as high up in the order as possible, so they'll bat as often as possible. And Bob was always a good hitter. Move him up, put weaker hitters further down the lineup. It made sense. Now, I may have resisted that at the time, but I did listen. Bob's lack of speed came into reasoning, too, but Mark had a solid point, and I did apply that in the future. 
Generally, though, I resisted suggestions, feeling they were critiques of my decisions based on prior serious thought and occasional outside input. You're probably wondering how or why I went from Joseph's dream to Bob Kuhn and softball. Hang in there. One more old story. When I was pastor of St. Nikolai United Church of Christ, lay leader Deems Jensen and I were talking about faith development and adults. He said that when folks reach a point in their age in faith development, and I think he was referring to middle age or older, but he said, he said that when folks reach a point in their age in faith development, they have a tendency to, and this is not what he said, this is somebody else's phrase, they know what they like and they like what they know. In other words, spiritual growth becomes less of a priority, let alone the possibility of conversion from cultural Christianity to authentic discipleship, because most adults have worked to get where they are spiritually, to a place they're comfortable, and probably stop there. The readiness to receive suggestions or exhortations to change will often fall on deaf ears, he said, because, well, they, like a certain softball team manager, have put in the time over years and had important experiences and discussions and exposure to scripture and other Christians and aren't amenable to suggestions that their work was somehow insufficient or inadequate or even wrong. Now this is not a judgment on folks at St. Nikolai or on St. Peter's. I merely share the observation from Deems that I never forgot. And I believe there is some truth to it. And now we meet Joseph, traditionally an older Jewish man, but we do not know that. Perhaps he too has prayed about this pregnancy and the engagement situation and believes he got the answer to divorce Mary quietly. And maybe he is older and has reached a spiritual place where suggestions of change are not so welcome. Well, I think the former is more likely than the latter, that he believes he got the answer through prayer and, and this come through prayer and meditation to divorce her quietly. Uh, but if these are possible or even likely, I've, God has spoken to me, I believe this is what I'm supposed to do, or, you know, I really kind of know where I am spiritually and I've made my decision. But guess what? It did not stand in the way of receiving the words of the angel in his dream. One thing that Joseph brought to his dream was open-mindedness. He was even in his sleep open-minded to receive direction from an emissary from God and trust it. There was no resistance recorded where he told the angel something like, hey, look, I've done a lot of praying and thinking about this. And I think I know what I'm doing. Don't, conf- don't question me or confuse my judgment. Thanks, but no thanks. Nope, that's not there. He brought open-mindedness to his dream. A humility of spirit, a faith as well to believe God speaks to people through angels and dreams. If he was not open-minded, Joseph would not have been willing to consider Mary's truth when the angel verified it. Open-mindedness is about being or becoming teachable. 
It is the opposite of closed-mindedness, which can be an extension of ego and comfort zone. I found a quote on uh, W3, SuzanneRobison.com, and here it is. Open-mindedness means that we are, all caps, listening, taking in the information we need to get better, and considering what may help us, even if the idea sounds wrong, crazy, hard, or stupid. It also, she said, it also requires us to trust in someone. Someone else elsewhere wrote, open minds are recognized by their ability to walk in those new and never used shoes without immediate or early rejection. Open minds always run into risks. They might risk that the world as they knew it no longer exists after learning and incorporating something new. Well, both of those quotes apply well to Joseph and his open-mindedness to hear what the angels said in the dream. And now comes the implied question for us. How open-minded am I? Or you or St. Peter's? Grounded in Christ, and covenanting within faith in the triune God. Where and when are you and I listening, teachable, and considering what may help us even if an idea sounds crazy? How open are we to running into risks that the world as we knew it may no longer exist after learning something new? Are the cultural shifts that are going on around us and perhaps within some of us, is that part of living into these questions? Open-mindedness, by the way, does not mean blowing every which way a wind blows or as if we were a boat, pulling up anchor and just sailing wherever the seas and the winds bring us. It does not mean we abandon foundations, although we might benefit from redefining what a foundation is and what ours are. Open-mindedness, however, the listening to others which may bring us to new understandings and possibly risky action on behalf of Christ is what our country and our world need more of. There's too much rigidity of belief and thought in so many places that make listening and respecting the experiences, the conversations, and the the learning of others, including maybe messengers from God, that it's no wonder America seems to get more and more fragmented, angry, and even sometimes violent. We can consider this a lesson from Joseph for us and our world to look around and look within and check our lack of or bounty of open-mindedness. I have quoted before the Reverend Edward Good, who told me that humility is what enables us to receive what God has for us. Open-mindedness can also serve that function. And indeed, humility and open-mindedness are kind of like cousins. The other thing Joseph brought to his dream, closely connected to this open-mindedness when it came to the things of God, is willingness. As we become maybe more open-minded, we also probably become more willing. Willingness is about our will. 
our ability to not bind ourselves to our own will all the time, but to do the will of another, in this case, God's will. As open-mindedness is the opposite of closed-mindedness, willingness is the opposite of self-willfulness all the time. Willingness is about agreeing to accept help. It's about fully committing to something and preparing to act upon that. Willingness, one person wrote, is to stop running the show of my own life on self-will, to surrender daily willing to follow God. As one prayer from the recovery movements, ask God, relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Meaning the bondage of self-will, being in charge all the time, not willingness to think about God's will necessarily. Not that they're always in conflict. Obviously, willingness in general is not only about praying, not my will, but thy will be done which is a great way to describe it. Because there is a world of willingness that has nothing to do with God or faith. But here, we're Christians looking at and listening to Joseph in this time. He was open-minded to listen to and believe the angel's message and then willing to change his well-thought-out plans in exchange for the scandalous, uncomfortable will of God, which turned out to be a blessing to the world. Willingness is the spirit that responds to the promptings of faith and teaching by moving us to put down our agendas when necessary in order to do what the Lord is beckoning, you or me, our church, our family, and even our communities or country do. You might prefer to rest, for example. You might prefer to rest up on Saturday, December 31st, but in answering Jesus' call to Peter to feed his sheep, you change your mind and decide you're willing to give up some of that rest so you can help us serve lunch at the community kitchen of Aegis Harvest this coming Saturday, December 31st from 11.30 to 2.30. Or you might say no to a nominating committee request to serve as an officer or on a board. But if there's open-mindedness, there may be willingness to say yes after all. You may really like sleeping in a little bit on Sunday mornings, but you're willing to give that up on the second and fourth Sundays to sing in the choir. You might be willing to add St. Peter's to your prayers if you have not already. So like open-mindedness, which often spurs our willingness to change plans or act on new learning, whether it's from God or just what we we change our mind because that seems to be the right thing to do. Willingness can bring us to new places, new ministries, new experiences of spiritual growth and joy. Jesus said, as do our front Oakton Street doors stained glass window, whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come. May you and I be willing to come to Jesus follow him, willing to follow him, and find our ultimate purpose and peace and joy in following that love. Because let us remember, God is love. And that's more than good news.
May we all find that Advent and Christmas joy in open-mindedness to the news from God and in our willingness to do our loving God's will every day with the gifts we've been given to do that. Amen. I can imagine that some of you, while listening to the message, might have um, you know, had some disagreements with uh, me here or there. I could um, believe that when, for example, I said, well, we don't want to, we're not talking about know um being open-minded enough to challenge our foundations and i could hear in my head that there's a voice that would say well really and uh so i did talk about you know, holding on to uh, to christ and the the triune expressions of our christian faith and i still believe that but I also understand that some of the foundations, like, for example, during the Protestant Reformation, there were foundations that were changed um, into a, a Protestant expression of Christianity. It's not a different religion. It's a different set of denominations or expression of the faith. Um, because there was open-mindedness and willingness to think about some of the things that, uh, you know, Luther and Zwingli and Calvin and some before them had lifted up for consideration based on New Testament understandings. And so that's one point where I can understand some people, you know, some of you out there might have listened and said, wait a minute, do you really mean that? Or what about this foundation or what have you? So... Um, if that led you into thinking about some things, you know, whenever someone tells me uh, that my sermon gave them something to think about, that's a high compliment. And uh, maybe I'm complimenting myself to think that I've given you all uh, some, some different uh, thought roads to travel down, uh, triggered by, by the message. Um, so... I don't know. That's that uh, you are the ones who can answer that question. Uh, I try not to be presumptuous. I am grateful that you have tuned in to listen to this. I do hope you were blessed by it, and will be as you consider or as you continue to think about uh, what I've lifted up and what the scriptures were. So may God bless you, and we've embarked on another kind of holy week with Saturday coming up being Christmas Eve, and Sunday, the 25th, Christmas Day. So may God bless you during the days of this week and leading up to the Holy Weekend. Amen. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to The Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash 
St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much 